14, verses 1 through 7. Jesus said, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, so that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. We started a Lenten series talking about the promises from the upper room. Jesus' discourse to his followers in the upper room in John chapters 14, 15, 16, where he's giving them uh, reassurances and, and some wonderful teaching about what is to take place. Last week we talked about Jesus' promise to take us home where, uh, where there are many rooms. We might say that we were talking about the destination. Today, we're going to be talking about the journey to get there. Let us pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts be acceptable now in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the preceding chapter, Jesus is speaking to his closest followers, the 12 apostles. He's been telling them, Three troubling things that are about to happen. One, he will soon die. Two, his heart is deeply troubled. um, That one of the twelve will betray him. And then Judas goes out into the darkness. And then he goes on to say that their leader, Peter, will deny his Lord three times before morning. So we have eleven troubled hearts in the room. Twelve counting Jesus. And to this, Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. In the face of, with, of all that's going on around them and the frightful predictions about what will happen soon, it's kind of stunning that Jesus says, oh, don't let your hearts be troubled. Um, it's kind of remarkable, actually, in the face of it all. And so you have to love Thomas when he blurts out and he says, Lord, We do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? I want to focus on Thomas and his words here this morning. Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? Thomas is like a lot of concrete, sequential thinkers. All this talk of mansions and rooms and comings and goings doesn't cut it for him. He wants to know the facts. And he doesn't want any more fancy talk. Cut out the metaphors, tell it to me straight, he says, respectfully, of course. And so Jesus says, okay, Thomas, here it is. I'm going to the Father. Now, you can find the Father by following after me. For I am the way, the truth, and I am the life. You must come to the Father through me. Now, this is about as remarkable a claim as I think anyone could possibly make. 
I can't imagine anyone other than Jesus saying something like this without everyone laughing in the room or maybe thinking the person had lost their mind. But Jesus is, is doing more than simply just giving a road map here. He not only plainly and personally shows us a way to God, but what he's saying here is, Thomas and the others, I will take you there. I will journey with you. I'll be with you on the road. I am the road. I'll be with you. He takes us to the Father. Now, sometimes in our modern world, people get troubled by Jesus' words here. I've read it and I've heard it. They're very strong. Um, They're troubled by Jesus' claim that he's the only way. And, you know, I've, I've prayed about this text this week. We've studied it. I've studied it read a lot about it, wrestled with it. Not because the text is unclear, but that it's so clear. And it is so conflicting to our modern ears and our modern world. And here's the reason why. In our world, we love two things. I mean, deeply love. Let's be honest. We love being in charge, and we love having choices. These are deep-seated values in our culture. Being in charge and having choices. And biblically, those two values are deeply problematic, but they're ours. But we get in a lot of trouble when we hold on to them. Um, On two or three occasions, I have traveled to a distant land that is strange and unique and very, very different. But I've, I've muscled up the courage to do this, and I, 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 it's, it took a lot of, but, but I did it, and I went to this strange land. It's a land called Ikea. Have you ever heard of the land called Ikea? Wow, I'll tell you, that place is different. And I'm not talking about what happens after you buy something in Ikea and you have to spend weeks putting it together. Not only that, but when you go into Ikea, have you noticed they have arrows on the floor to tell you which way to go? And they take you, the arrows take you through the, every level, through the entire store so that you see everything. It's this winding, meandering thing. It drives me crazy. I didn't come here to see everything. I came to get what I was looking for. Can't I go directly to that department? Get what I want and get out of there. And the response of Ikea is, you don't have choice. This is our place. You have to follow the path that we have determined for you. We don't like that. Let's be honest. We like to think, no, I can be in control here. I can make the choices that I need to make. Sometimes we hear Jesus' text and we feel the same way. Well, wait a minute, only way. I'll determine what's the only way. I can have choices. Every, every other part of my life, I, I, I make lots of choices. I'll have a little of this, a little of that, a little of this. You're telling me that there's only one way? No choice? We're put on our back heels. We're, we're, we're caught a little bit. But here's the thing that we're going to need to understand about what Jesus is saying to these troubled hearts. Instead of hearing what he's taking away or the choices that we will not have, we have to hear what he's saying as an invitation to a gift that is unimaginably good unimaginably good. Thomas is upset. He's anxious. 
He has anxiety. He's depressed. He's afraid. And Jesus says, let me tell you what's going on here. Let me tell you what I'm going to do and how I'm going to do it. When I first became a pastor, I was leading a youth group, and it was a large youth group. And one summer, we were taking a large group of students down to Tijuana, Mexico. And um, I went ahead, a week ahead, just to scout everything out before the trip. So I flew down to San Diego, and I rented a car, and I called the head of the Presbyterian Mission Agency, a man named Bill Soldwich, and I said, Bill, I need directions so that I can come meet you at your mission in Tijuana. <clears throat> and Bill, who is not the most detailed person in the world, he, he began to give me directions. And he said, all right, when you go across the border, there's about 12 lanes. I want you to be in the seventh lane. And then when you go through, go a little while, and you'll see a roundabout. Don't take that roundabout. Keep going, and then there'll be another roundabout. And I want you to take that, and I want you to take, oh, it's like the third, maybe the fourth exit out of the roundabout. And then you'll go down a little ways, keep driving. You'll see a big building on the left. Don't do anything there. Go past that big building, and then you'll come upon a four-way stop. Stop there, but just keep going, and, and then you're going to take a right. I think there's a field or there's, ah, there's a park or something. I can't remember. He didn't give me one street name. He didn't give me one sense of how long I would be going, and this kind of direction went on for about 15 minutes. And then at the end, he said, okay, you got it? And I said, well, I guess, okay. And I hung up the phone. And immediately, I started to feel anxiety. And I was worried. And I was afraid. Why? I began imagining that I was going to be alone in a foreign country. I didn't speak the language very well. My identity would be thrown into chaos because there would be this language barrier. I didn't have a cell phone. We didn't have them back then. No map, no GPS. And I began thinking, what if I get lost? I don't know the way. And by the way, I was going to be all alone. I had no one to go with me. It would have been a little bit easier if I had a friend, right? Or someone to go with me. Our sociologists are pointing right now in our culture to studies that are telling us something tragic is going on in our midst. There is a big, big crisis in our midst. And I'm going to kind of just talk about one. There's many, but this is one that's happening. Our students, teens, are facing a mental health crisis that is growing in an exponential way. Anxiety is on the rise, a steep rise. Depression, loneliness, suicidal thoughts. People are trying to figure out why. Why is this happening? Why? Some people are saying it's, it's social media. Some are saying that the pandemic, the COVID pandemic, it pushed this forward. And maybe, that, maybe both of those have really had a bad impact on this. Those could be true. But I also think there's something deeper going on. We're living in a time and an age where the breakdown of the family is occurring. Where there is a breakdown of what we might call traditional Christian values. It's happening. And what we're telling our teens is, 
You're in control. You have choices. You're in control and you have choices. And we're not telling them much beyond that. No one is daring to tell them about morality, about the, the, the boundaries of how they should go. And it's leaving them anxious, afraid, depressed. There's no clear instruction. And, and by the way, the values they're getting is coming through social media and it's harsh. And it's telling them harshly, you need to decide your own identity. Pick it. Choice, 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 choice. And by the way, you're in charge. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. And it's reinforcing this. And deep down, deep, deep down, they're feeling anxious and afraid. Being in charge is hard. It's all up to me. I can't handle the weight of that. I know who I am. I don't always make good choices. Imagine graduating high school and this is the message you get. We can't give you anything. Can't tell you about anything. You're in charge. You have choices. And by the way, you're alone in this endeavor. It's confusing. It's like getting off the phone with Bill Soldwich. <laughs> go down here, go down here, go down there, but I'm not going to tell you anything definite. And it leaves us with so much anxiety. No wonder it's skyrocketing. Kind of like Thomas. How can we know the way? How am I going to figure this out? He says. I love this about him. He's so honest. Jesus, how am I going to know? How are we going to know? How can we make it through this life? You're, you're talking about rooms and mansions, and we don't even know the first thing how to do this. After sitting with my anxiety for a while, I called Bill back in a moment of vulnerability. Bill, I got to be honest with you, I am not good with directions. I'm confused. I need help. And after a long pause, Bill said, well, I have another idea. What if I drove to the border, park my car, and then you'll meet me there, and you can follow me all the way to the mission? Just follow right behind me. I've never felt so relieved. So relieved. All anxiety was gone. I had a guide. I had a trusted, knowledgeable guide. But more than that, I had a friend who cared about me. I wasn't alone anymore. And we know what Jesus was talking about. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's what Bruce talked about on Wednesday night, or Vespers. You know the poor in spirit? They're ones that say, I can't do this. Too many choices. I'm not good at being in control. I can't do it. No, 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 no. Lord, I need your help. This is what Thomas is saying. I, how am I going to make this work? How am I going to? And Jesus comes in and says, let me tell you how you're going to make it work. You're going to follow me closely, and I will be with you, and I am the way, and I'm true, and I'm going to give you life. And this is the way we're going to go. And he personally comes and takes us to the Father. This is the journey. There aren't a lot of choices on this journey. And by the way, you're not in control on this journey. Nor am I. He's in control. 
but it's good. You know, all the pages of the Old Testament are, are hinting at this. They're, they're wrestling with this promise that the Messiah will come and take us home and deliver us. And all the pages of the New Testament are telling us that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's going to bring us home and he's going to end this homelessness forever. The prophet Isaiah, long before Jesus said this, he said, a highway will be there and it'll be called the way of holiness and it'll be for those that walk on that way. You know that early Christian church, the early Christians were known as people of the way. They were known as people of the highway. What that meant was they're walking in a strange way. They are walking through this life on a very different strange way than the rest of us. What are they doing? After Jesus was resurrected, he met with his followers and then the Holy Spirit came upon them and they began traveling on this highway, following the way that Jesus lived, following with him. And they practiced things like forgiveness and mercy. They cared deeply for each other. They cared for the poor. Every Sunday they would gather and they would sing songs and read ancient words that describe this highway. And what about their identity? No one walking that way was saying, well, you know what? I have a choice to make. All right. I've got a choice. I'm going to choose my identity now. I've got a myriad of choices. I'm going to choose. No one did that. No one talked like that. Why? Because they were loved. They knew the love of the Father expressed through Jesus. And their identity was they were, they were known as children of God. And they had so much joy because they realized that they had been invited to go home. And now they had a way home. And they remembered Jesus when he kept saying, don't despair. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And this highway was so different. The whole Roman world and the Greek world was traveling on a different highway. And by the way, so is the American world. And on that world, they celebrated values like power and violence and being in control and having choices. But Jesus' way was so different. A completely different road. His road was about the least. It was for those that humbled themselves. Those who sacrificed so that someone else may have. Those who were generous with what they had. And they said, you need more of this than I do. Here, I'll give it to you. And by the way, not everyone liked people traveling on this Jesus road. Some got angry at him. Some traveling on this way were killed in persecution. And some, sadly, are still killed today. But they could never take away their joy. And the way kept growing. And they also had purpose and mission in life. They cared for the poor. They would feed the hungry. They would visit the prisoner, comfort the grieving, love the enemy, bless those who curse them. Not only did they walk with Jesus, but they became part of his mission. They became a vital part, an important part of his mission and purpose in the world. One of the things that's really hurting our society is our young people. They just don't feel like they have a purpose or mission. Jesus gives it to them. We get to be a part of his unfolding drama to redeem the world and reconcile everyone to himself. Why would we settle for being in control and having choice when what Jesus offers is a much better way? 
that's good, that's right, and we can be a part of his mission. Choices and control create depression and anxiety and worry. The future is scary. Our identity is unknown. But Jesus' way is so radically different. In his uh, Chronicles of Narnia, Lewis tells a story that maybe you've heard before. It's familiar. It's in his book four of The Silver Chair. It's a, it's a story about Jill and Scrub. Scrub has been to Narnia before, but Jill hasn't. And so, um, but they get separated in the forest, and Jill is all alone and anxious and afraid and depressed. Being all alone, she would be. She'd never been in this foreign land. What do you do? Where do you go? How do you, what are you supposed to do? And she's becoming very thirsty. And then she hears these words. If you are thirsty, you may drink. They were the first words she had heard since Scrub had spoken to her on the edge of the cliff. For a second, she stared here and there, wondering who had spoken. And then the voice said it again. If you are thirsty, come and drink. And of course, she remembered what Scrub had said about animals talking in that other world and realized that it was the lion speaking. Anyway, she had seen its lips move this time, and the voice was not like a man's. It was deeper, wilder, and stronger, a sort of heavy, golden voice. It did not make her any less frightened than she had been before, but it made her frightened in a rather different way. Are you not thirsty, said the lion. I'm dying of thirst, said Jill. Then drink, said the lion. May I? Could I? Would, would you mind going away if I do? said Jill. The lion answered this only with a look and a very low growl, and, and as Jill gazed at its motionless bulk, she realized that she might as well have asked the whole mountain to move aside for her convenience. The delicious, rippling noise of the stream was driving her nearly frantic. Will you promise, will you promise not to, to do anything to me if I do come, said Jill. I make no promise, said the lion. Jill was so thirsty now that without noticing it, she had come a step nearer. Do, do you eat girls, she said. I have swallowed up girls and boys, women and men, kings and emperors, cities and realms, said the lion. It didn't say this as if it were boasting, nor as if it were sorry, nor as if it were angry. It just said it. I dare not come and drink, said Jill. Then you will die of thirst, said the lion. Oh dear, said Jill, coming a step nearer. I, I suppose I must go and look for another stream then. Choice, right? You hear this? Well, there's got to be choices. There's got to be another stream. I'll just pick the one that I like. It doesn't have this lion in front of it. I must go and look for another stream then. There is no other stream, said the lion. It never occurred to Jill to disbelieve the lion. No one who had seen his stern face could do that. And her mind suddenly made itself up. It was the worst thing she'd ever had to do. But she went forward to the stream, knelt down, and began scooping up water in her hand. It was the coldest, most refreshing water she had ever tasted. You didn't drink much of it, for it quenched your thirst at once. We all have a deep, deep thirst for God. None of our choices are quenching that thirst. None of our control of our lives is working. 
And in the absence of a way forward, that thirst will drive us to have anxiety and depression and an uncertainty and have our hearts be troubled all the time. And that's why Jesus' invitation is so warm and joyful and true and wonderful and inviting for each and every one of us. Come. You can come. You can join this way. You can come and drink.